0: Welcome to episode 48 of the Tech Done Right podcast, TableXI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. Today, we're talking about meetings. I know I can already hear you groan. Still, any group software activity is going to have at least some meetings, and we're going to talk about making them better. Where by better, we mean more interactive and better able to get meaningful contributions from everybody without letting the loudest or most powerful voices dominate. My guests are Mark Rickmeyer, the CEO of TableXI, and Katie Gore from the communication coaching company, Speech IRL. As this podcast comes out, TableXI is running a Kickstarter for a new meeting tool, a deck of cards that you can use to improve your meetings. We'll talk about how we came to develop the tool, how we use it, and why we think it's effective. We also want to hear from you. What's the problem with your meetings and how have you solved it? Let us know at techdunright.io slash 48 or on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. Before we start the show, a quick message. Table XI is offering training for developer and product teams. That is, if you feel like your developer and product team needs some help with legacy code or testing or agile team structure or career development, then you can have me come to your place of business and run a half-day or full-day workshop. If that is a thing you want, then you can get more information on our website at TableXI.com slash workshops, or you can email us at workshops at
1: TableXI.com.
0: Today on the show, I have two guests with me. First of all, I have Mark Rickmeyer. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hey, Noel. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm the CEO at TableXI. Uh, long-time listener, second-time caller.
0: Yes. Mark was the guest on the first Tech Right about a year and a half ago now. Mm-hmm. And we also have a second-time guest, Katie Gore. Katie, can you introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Thanks for having me back. I am Katie Gore. I'm the founder and director at Speech IRL, which is a speech therapy and communications consulting firm in Chicago.
0: And uh, we're here to talk about meetings and the problems with meetings and a technique that we have that might help your company's meetings run a little bit more smoothly. Let's start here. What's the problem with meetings that you're trying to solve?
1: I mean, meetings are necessary. Uh, sometimes there's too many of them, but I can't see many companies getting by without having some need for humans to get together and collaborate in a shared space, whether it's virtual or in person. But in meetings, people have all kinds of sometimes healthier or not healthy communication styles. And it's very frequent that some people don't get a chance to really have their voice being heard. And I think that's something that we've been, as we've been studying different ways of how people communicate different kinds of vocal patterns or communication patterns, um, it's very easy for some folks to be heard very dominantly and other people that have really struggled to get, get their two cents in.
2: Yeah. And I think maybe to piggyback off that a little bit, I, I totally agree with Mark. I think anytime you have a collection of multiple people in a room who are trying to get to a consensus or common goal that's really hard, just because you do have a diversity of patterns and beliefs and styles um, and preferences. The other thing I think that is hard about a group setting is that even when people identify that there's something in the meeting that we wanna change, I think a lot of companies and, and organizations are generally aware of something's not working in their meeting you have an established pattern of group behavior. There's a culture that most companies develop around how they, want they run meetings or maybe if a particular person's running the meeting. And so even if you can identify, oh, we could be doing this a little better, we could be doing things a little more concisely, we could be making things a little more egalitarian, it's really hard for individuals to break out of what they're already doing.
1: It, it's super hard because, well, communication styles are, are are deeply personal, right? How you communicate is built out of years of your personal experience, your history, how you were raised, what you know, where in the world you were from. And those things are, A, very hard to change, uh, and B, sometimes even difficult to personally understand. If you were to ask everyone, how do you communicate? What's your communication style? Not It's not like, like oh, I'm a Virgo, this is who I am. Like Very few people know exactly how they communicate uh, and how that communication can be interpreted by others. So when you magnify that level of, uh, you know have five, six people in a room, all coming from different perspectives and different backgrounds, there's all kinds of chances where those communication styles can overlap poorly.
0: So let's put a a specific pin on this. What are some things that you can specifically see that somebody can look at this meeting and go, oh, this is a problem that we're having. This could be run more efficiently or more effectively.
1: I can start with mine. Um, This is something that was brought to my attention about uh, a year ago. Uh, So I took on the CEO role about a year and a half ago, and a member of my peer group pointed me to a book called uh, Multipliers. And one of the things they talk about, and that is the concept of an accidental diminisher. Uh, That's a term I hadn't been familiar with, but it's essentially someone who, maybe like me, gets really excited about their contributions and what they want to say in a meeting. And they really struggle with awkward, long pauses and silences. And so there's a question that comes up, maybe even a difficult one, like, how are we going to boost sales this month or this quarter? And I can't help it. I just jump in and say, oh, here are the five things I think we can do. I think we can try this. And I get very excited about trying to give people a vision or try to give people some motivation and by jumping in and running in with all my ideas, again, it's, it's called an accidental diminisher. I don't mean to do it. But by doing that, I can take uh, some of the oxygen out of the room. I prevent other people from being able to share their input. Uh, and the challenge I was given was, can you just ask questions? Like, could you get through a whole week where you just ask questions in every meeting, uh, which is so different from what... I thought my role was as CEO to, to always have that vision. Uh, and so that is like that is one, uh, I would say, communication anti-pattern, that accidental diminisher where you are kind of stepping on the creative toes of others by always running in first with your thoughts.
0: And I guess one of the side effects of that would be that people in the meeting would choose not to participate and would not have their opinions or their perspectives heard. Katie, are there any other things that people should be looking for in a group meeting?
2: I mean, I think there's all kinds of things. So that certainly is a really common pattern, I think, that you just described, Mark. You could also have the opposite one of someone who has great ideas or maybe even is in a more senior role and doesn't contribute enough. You can have issues with folks who are more junior or mid-level and maybe... Leadership would like to see them saying more, stepping it up, but they're not comfortable doing so. Another common pattern is the person who tends to ramble on for far too long or sort of does all of their thinking out loud, which in some ways can be constructive and helpful, but you know, there's a happy medium to everything and Anything can go on for too long. And it can be very easy for people to take on roles, not just their personal communication habit and style, like, oh, I say a lot, or oh, I tend to not say very much, oh, I process really quickly, oh, I process really slowly, but also take on a role within the context of the company, but certainly the meeting itself. So, you know, Mark, you're the CEO generally, there's a lot of leeway given to the CEO to do whatever he or she needs to do or wants to do because you're the CEO. But even within a meeting, if it's a if it's a meeting that happens on a weekly basis, and it's always the same people in the room, it's pretty normal for everyone to sort of say, okay, well, Susan always takes this role, and she just runs the agenda, but she doesn't really contribute everything else. And Bob always goes off on tangents, but that's just Bob and we let him do it, even though it wastes everybody's time. Um, And there can be permissions for these things that start to creep in that on aggregate can really derail or make it not a great use of time, but it might not be permitted outside of that particular meeting space. So maybe when Bob goes into a different meeting, people are a little more on the ball about redirecting him.
0: Yeah. My own personal one is I get commented on, I get feedback that I interrupt people a lot, which is usually, I think a lot, a little more in the lines of, of the accidental diminisher is that I'm generally excited or excited about the the comment that I, the respective that I have to make and need to learn to, you know, shut up and let other people talk. And actually doing this podcast has been great training for that. Hmm. I'd imagine that all of this is also a little bit exacerbated if the meeting is, if there are remote people in the meeting too, and that's a really common issue that companies face, right?
1: I mean, I think it's without having the the visual cues, it's certainly harder. Uh, and I think, it, it, you know, that even just not knowing about your own communication style. Uh, so, you know, in full transparency, we hired Katie to come in and help people learn about their communication styles, like how they personally communicate, what their what baggage they have bringing into a conversation. For example, so Noel, like you knowing that about how you have this tendency to interrupt people will help you be more focused on it. It's something that when you have that feedback, you can kind of be more aware of it. And when you're remote and you're not in front of other people, um, you have to be that much more hypersensitive to it um, and so I think having a remote only culture or having you know participants where they are remote, um, that's actually worse where everyone, you know, 80 percent of the room is together except for the one person is remote. That can make uh, any kind of communications uh, interactions much, much harder. So I think the, the, the remoteness definitely conflates it. Uh, not being aware of your style or not being aware of how your style affects others makes it uh, significantly harder, I think, to have good, effective conversation.
0: Yeah, I feel that conversation thing in the podcast a lot we record this typically without video and without typically everybody in different rooms. And it becomes kind of tricky to have a visual cue of like, oh, yes, I, you know, wrap it up. Or, uh, you know, I, I have another question or I have something to say. It becomes really hard just to manage.
2: To build off that, I think the hardest situation is actually those mixed meetings. Podcasts are hard, especially if no one's in the room. But Everybody's aware of it and there's at least a consistent thing we all have to be aware of. So we know that none of us have facial visual cues, so we're looking at our screens or listening. But in a mixed setting, or especially a setting where you'd have most of the people in the room and maybe one or two remote, it takes a lot of energy to pay attention to what everyone else is doing when you have the in-person feedback, right? If you're if you have an idea and you're aware that you want to jump in you have to really cue yourself to look at every single other person, read their body language, look at their face to say, oh, does it look like somebody else has something they want to say? That takes a tremendous amount of cognitive effort. And then to add on to that an additional medium, okay, after I've done that check, I then also need to check whoever's on the screen or in the GoToMeeting or whatever technology you're using to give you that information. And then you can also have a time delay because of the technology aspect that's, even if it's really fast, it's going to be slower than live in person. So there's just a lot of very practical, physical things that have to be done that make it hard. And I think that's good to acknowledge that it is hard to do. It's not because people are being lazy or because they're unaware, even if you're aware and working really, really hard. It's, it's just a hard thing to
0: do. So, Mark, you were given this feedback to see what happens if you only ask questions in meetings. Uh, so here's my question. What happened?
1: <laughs> I was actually given three different pieces of advice, and uh, that was one of them. So uh, Katie Gore gave me the very difficult challenge of waiting uh, between two to four seconds after a question has been given to me to respond which is an eternity for me who is so quick to want to jump in. It's very difficult. It forces me to really think about how I'm going to say something as opposed to just blah, like just saying whatever comes to mind. But that was one technique. Another one which I thought was very helpful was when a, a difficult topic of conversation comes up, uh, that I should write down the thing I want to contribute to the group conversation, but not say it. Let other people get their two cents in first. And if someone says the thing I was going to say, that gives me an opportunity to say, yeah, plus one. I totally buy that. I agree with you. And if I write down all the things I wanted to contribute, maybe there's only one of those ideas that was totally original that no one else had. And then I can contribute that thought as opposed to trying to otherwise dominate a conversation um, but the third, which uh, you know I mentioned earlier, is do nothing but ask questions in in a meeting, and it is it is particularly difficult because it's not something that I am well versed in. It's not something it's not my typical default style, and so it does really force me to hear the inputs of others. It forces me to really look for who else has not contributed yet that I'd like to hear from, and. Uh, it does change the nature of the conversation. I'll have to say like, it's a, it's a difficult thing. It makes you be vigilant of how you're participating in the meeting, but uh, it has been helpful to make sure that, you know, I get lots of people's input rather than just starting with my idea, then saying, what do you think? Uh, I feel like that's a pretty big anti-pattern.
0: When you tried this, like, did you get the results that you were hoping for? Were other people contributing to the meeting more or were you so focused on just asking questions that you couldn't tell?
1: But we tried it and it's in a slightly different way. Um, and so we created knowing that, uh, it's hard to change your communication styles. And I wanted to give myself a, a bit of a break um, knowing how hard this would be for me personally. We did. We kind of created this card game that we could then use to facilitate these kinds of conversations. And so imagine almost like, I don't know, like a referee in soccer holds up a yellow card when someone does something inappropriate. We had all these different cards that would help people learn how to facilitate their conversations. So for me, I had an almost infinite amount of question cards that I could ask in a meeting. Uh, but I was only given the three opinion cards and so if i really wanted to state something and say this is what i think we should do i had to burn one of my opinion cards in one of these key meetings uh and that was really fun because when i did say something it had to be really important to warrant me playing one of those cards and when i played my last card when i burned that third opinion card and everyone saw that it was my last card i think one people realized that opinion really mattered to me and two that i then had to shut up for the rest of the meeting and nothing but questions from then on uh, and I think that actually made it a very amusing kind of a session to really encourage the conversation. And people could tell when I was really, really passionate about something and when I just wanted to encourage other conversation. Uh, so when we we introduced this concept, I was given three get out of jail cards. Uh, and I think those were fun to actually play in a session.
0: These were actual physical cards. I've been in one or two meetings that we've run like this. These are actual physical cards. They're somewhat larger than playing cards that we hand out to people in the meeting. What are some of the other cards that you came up with that got handed around uh, for a meeting like this?
1: Well, so we started thinking about uh, a lot of what we talked about earlier in the podcast. What are the different kind of communication patterns or anti-patterns? And so for me, uh, for my particular pattern, I got this stack of question cards that I could ask as many questions as I wanted or these these limited number of opinion cards. There was another card that we created called the interrupter card where if someone was – (laughs) <laughs> just like that, you could flash the interrupter card and be like, hey, you might not be aware of it, but you just totally stepped on this person's toes. Let her finish her thought or let him finish his thought, and then you can chime in. And so that's why someone would uh, flash that card as a kind of a, a kind of like a, a little subtle warning of like, hey, just to be aware of that, that little uh, like microaggression, you just totally stepped on someone probably didn't realize it.
0: So that one's a little bit different because it's not that I have a card that gives me a limited number of interruptions. It's that somebody is actually tasked with sort of refereeing.
1: Yeah, it's a good holding point. Holding up the so,
0: card like a soccer referee holding up a yellow card.
1: There are some personality cards we give people, and so one of them was mine where I have those opinion cards. And there's others where there's more like referee cards where you're trying to encourage different kinds of behavior. So let me there are two other kind of cards that are more like mine where you're assigning a personality and they're both pretty fun. There's one card which is called the devil's advocate card, which is typically given to maybe like a more junior person on the team. And let's say you have a really senior technologist that's adamant and says, this is how we should be refactoring this. Uh, A junior developer may have a hard time contradicting that person. But if they can just blame it on the game and say, hey, listen, uh, for the next half hour, I'm, I'm the devil's advocate in this room, so just to play the game, I think I'm going to challenge it and say, I think we could do it a different way. It gives them a, a freedom or like a, an opportunity to express conflict in a way that's much healthier because they know they're attacking the idea because of the role they've been given. And the opposite of that is actually my favorite, something called the angel's advocate card, where if you have like a very grumpy person who's like, oh, that will never work, you force them to play the angel's advocate card And in that case, they have to yes and everything for the next half hour. And their job in that meeting is to be much more encouraging of other people's ideas and express why something might work as opposed to why everything will not work. So it's really fun to see people play those different roles in a session uh, and see how they can kind of change the nature of the dialogue. The other ones are much more like the ones Noel we talked about, uh, the the referee ones where uh, there's the kicking the dead horse card if someone is going on and on and on, kind of like I'm doing right now, uh, about uh, bulleting just kind of making the same point over and over again, you can flash the dead horse card, be like, yep, scroll down, we get it. Or the interrupter card, when you can flash that up and say, hey, you just stepped on this person's toes, let them finish.
0: I seem to remember a rabbit hole card too. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's when you're getting way too detailed, you can flash the rabbit hole card at someone. And I would say it's, they're funny, like the drawings are intentionally a little humorous, because it's Honestly, it's hard to tell someone that their communication style is an anti-pattern or they're stepping on because, again, it's accidental. They probably don't mean it. Uh, And so having something that's like you literally show them a picture of a dead horse that you're kicking the dead horse, it makes it a little bit – brings a little bit more humor to the situation and allows them to be like, yeah, right, right, right. I get it.
0: Nothing says humor like a picture of a dead horse.
1: (laughs) Yes. I I have a sick sense of humor. You
0: you did make a a, a speak up card specifically for me, I thought, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say just for you, but yes, uh, there's, there's often a case where, especially in remote meetings, you can't hear the person and it's hard to be like interrupting them like, Hey, I'm sorry. Can you speak up? If you can just flash that visual cue, they might be like, Oh, right. And they don't have to be interrupted. They can just start projecting their voice louder.
0: Katie, how much input did you have in creating these cards or in like evaluating how they work in actual meetings?
2: So none at all, really, that I'm aware of explicitly. I think Mark and I had been talking about a lot of these concepts for a long time. And of course, I've been around TableXI a lot and talked about different communication patterns and behaviors. And then one day I showed up and he was like, hey, Katie, check out these cards that we made. And I was like, these are so amazing. So I think that's just a testimony to the general creativity and fun innovation that goes on at TableXI. Uh, But what really blew me away about them was how brilliantly they're designed from a learning science perspective so if I was designing something and I had more explicit input I don't really know that I would have changed anything but yet Mark and the other the rest of the team that came up with this sort of put this all together on their own just based on personal experience with really working on communication and becoming aware of it Um, and really the elements that make it work so well are a lot of what Mark has already described that it it calls out a specific behavior that depersonalizes it from the person in the moment of when it happens. Um, You know, I work with so many folks who say, okay, I need to work on speaking up more in meetings or I need to work on not interrupting someone. But even if you set that mindset or intention or goal prior to walking into a meeting, as soon as the meeting starts, your brain gets taken up with all of what's actually going on in the meeting. And it's very, very difficult to, be focusing on what you need to be focusing on, which is the, the content of the meeting itself. And then also have that background awareness and the energy, I guess, to immediately in the moment, call yourself out for whoops, I interrupted or whoops, I need to speak up louder or whoops, I need to speak up more. And the cards do that for you. So it's, it's very, very difficult, even when people have communication goals and patterns that they want to work on, to be able to in the moment immediately recognize that behavior and make a change without some sort of external cue. And that's exactly what these cards provide. And they do it in a really fun, cooperative way.
0: So Mark, how has this played out? Like how often does this get deployed in meetings? What happens in the meetings when it gets deployed?
1: Uh, so the first thing is is making sure everyone is aware that this is going to be one of those kind of meetings. So <laughs> uh, we changed the title and say, we're going to go, we call it a wicked meeting. I guess, I don't know. I spent time in Boston, so I thought that was a funny term for it. So yeah, we're like, hey, we're going to run a wicked meeting and uh, you're going to get some wicked good feedback in this meeting. Um, and so in those sessions, everyone knows that the cards are going to be there and they're in play part of the expectation setting is uh, it's easier to get feedback when you know that you're encouraging that level of, of blunt feedback.
0: Plus you assign the cards at the beginning of the meeting, right?
1: Yeah, exactly right. So then people say, okay, I'm going to play the you know the angel's advocate role, or I'm going to be the ref. And so people are kind of looking out for those. The second thing I think that's really helpful is that, uh, so let's imagine, you know going back, Noel, to your point, let's say you have uh, a tendency to accidentally interrupt people. It's important that it's accidental. If you're doing it on purpose, it'd be a much bigger problem. But like when you don't know that you're doing it, or like in my case, if I am accidentally diminishing other people, you don't have the context of exactly how your communication pattern affects other people. And so if I came to you at the end of the meeting, I said, hey 45 minutes ago you interrupted this person like three times you're gonna be like wait what I didn't I didn't know I did that but if I do it in the moment and I can say, hey I can flash that card it is so much easier to tie in your brain like cause and effect be like oh great yeah I get it I see the context. Uh, Like I said, it's very hard to challenge someone's communication style, and it's even harder for a person to change their own personal communication style. So the tighter feedback loop you have between cause and effect, it helps people recognize how they're collaborating together. Uh, So I think the meetings have been much better about socializing patterns or anti-patterns and and helping people to learn uh, when their communication style is affecting others. And I would say the third thing is that over time, interestingly, the cards haven't been as necessary. Um, and so as we started playing things like the interrupter card, or we started you know, flashing the kicking a dead horse card, uh, the first couple meetings, they came out quite a bit. And then they came out maybe a little bit less often. And over the course of a few months, people are becoming more self-aware in these meetings to watch out for those communication patterns or anti-patterns. And over the time, we're able to affect not just one person's uh, visibility into their own communication style, but the group is like self-policing and looking out for better ways to communicate. Um, so I think having something that's real time is always a better, you know, teaching mechanism. Having something that's frankly a little, a little silly and a little comical with a little humor uh, makes it easier to receive such personal feedback. And the interesting thing is that the more we play it, uh, in some cases, the less we have to play it. Does that make sense?
2: It does make sense because what you just described is operant conditioning. So essentially, you're rewarding positive behavior in the moment or behavior that you want to continue. And then something like the interrupter card is actually, in terms of the brain and behavior learning, is a punishment, right? The person has to stop midstream of what they were saying and and change course. Which, you know, the brain's going to make a negative association with that. Oh, you know, that didn't quite get me to my end goal as efficiently as I wanted. So next time, I'm going to be more cognizant of not interrupting so that I can do the thing I want to do. And that's why you have to use it less over time. You're generalizing the behavior.
0: Is there a particular kind of meeting that you feel like this works best at?
1: When we've tried them, uh, I think they're at their best when it is a contentious topic. Um, So if it's like a status update... That's not a good case for this to be a wicked meeting. I think wicked meetings do really well when you have a discussion about how might this work, or what's a way to solve this thorny problem, or anything that could be contentious, where you you really want to get different people's viewpoints, and you're in a situation where uh, you know temperatures you know may flare, or people's personalities might really rise to the occasion, and people are going to speak loudly, or whenever there's like a good healthy debate, I think that's a great case. To say, hey, we're going to start off this meeting with a bit of a health check and then introduce the idea of the Wicked Meetings cards and say, we're going to have, we call them inclusion cards, but we're going to use these inclusion cards to make sure that everyone gets their two cents in. And those are, I think, a great time. So we generally leave the cards in the meeting room and then we break them out for those kinds of topics. I wouldn't do it for like a standup, but I would do it in any kind of uh, session where like a retrospective or a session where you're having a kind of a how might we type exercise. Those are particularly good when you're trying to seek the input from others.
0: Has it only been internal meetings so far? Have we done it in client facing?
1: Actually, so we did actually with a client, one of the cards is called the tangent card. And whenever you're going off and, you know, going off on a tangent and talking about something not relevant to the goal of the meeting, you flash that as a warning. And one of our clients uh, did that a lot and he even recognized it. And so we developed the tangent card just for him. That as he was going off on a totally different direction. We could just quickly flash that and he'd be like, right okay, right. Yeah. We're not talking about that. That's another meeting entirely. We'll get back to the topic. So he was a, a a client with a really good sense of humor. And that's why I think it worked really well for him. I think if he didn't know that was happening and we kept flashing a rabbit hole or a tangent card at him, I think he'd punch me in the face, but it was great that he was such a great spirit about it. And, uh, they, they totally helped us in that, in that session.
0: Why is Mark still showing me this picture of a dead horse? <laughs> it
1: unfortunate. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, does it help with remote meetings too? Because it's visual, is it harder I mean, then I assume you need the visual connection in the remote meeting. Has it helped in that as well?
1: It's definitely, I mean, this is a very analog card game, right? Uh, So there's no digital component, which is uh, fun for a software company to have something so analog be so effective. But because a lot of our meetings have all kinds of webcams and things set up, typically speaking, we always make sure you can see everyone's face in a meeting. And so in that case actually the speak up card is particularly effective because there's so it's so hard for that remote person to jump in and get their voice heard that if they're, uh, if you you know interrupt them and say we can't hear you or hey you're on mute, if you can just flash the card, uh, they don't have to interrupt their train of thought. They can still just keep talking and recognize they need to get closer to the mic.
0: Conversely, the remote person can flash if somebody's not close to the microphone.
1: Yeah, exactly, and say hey I can't hear you, uh, and they don't have to interrupt that person in the middle of their thought. They can just kindly give them a nudge to speak up a bit.
0: Yeah, you know, we've, we've started to use those. This is a this is my own tangent, but we've started to use those 360 meeting all cameras in the conference rooms. And those actually have helped, I think, quite a bit in terms of letting the remote person see what's actually happening in the room.
1: Yeah. If anyone hasn't bought one of those yet, that's your next purchase. The owl cameras are phenomenal.
0: So TableXI is running a Kickstarter where you can get these inclusion cards. Have you seen people like outside TableXI start to use them? Have they been eagerly asking you to do them? Have they reported back
1: well, that's the kind of funny thing about this. So I live pretty far away from Table XI, and I was running to catch a train one night and totally missed it. Uh, so I'm there hanging out in Chicago in the train station for a full hour for the next one to come around. And so I just wrote uh, a blog article while I was waiting about this funny little card game that's helping me learn more about my communication style and how we're trying to make our meetings more inclusive. And then caught my train, went to bed and came out the next morning to a whole inbox full of people asking to buy this game uh, and saying, oh, can we have a copy? Uh, Which is great, except we don't make card games. We're a software company. Uh, And it was really amusing that every couple hours I get a new email from Spain, uh, the Bay Area, New York, all across the U.S. Um, People kept asking, hey, can we get a copy? Can we buy that game? And so then we started thinking about, well, what if we can get input from other people? Like, What other cards would be useful? And so we said, actually, the best way to maybe get the input from the community and see how people would actually use strategies to make their conversations more inclusive would be to create a Kickstarter. Uh, so that's that's what's going to happen uh, this month. We're going to be uh, showing the card designs we have. Uh, we're going to try to hire a proper illustrator that can maybe draw a better dead horse than I can and reach out to the community and, and see how people are uh making their meetings more in their, their you know, intentionally making their company culture more inclusive and how they could use something like this, uh, what new cards they might need. Uh and the Kickstarter will allow us at different, you know, levels to customize the deck with some new ideas as well. So right now this is just a table XI thing, but I think the thing we're most curious about after getting all these emails from people who wanted to try to facilitate wicked meetings in their company, uh, would be to reach out just to the global community and see how how Kickstarter people react.
0: In the meantime, is there a quick way that people can get started to get a sense of this, of this kind of technique? Or, or Katie, what kinds of things do you think people can do right now to try and get some of these advantages in their own meetings?
2: I mean, the basic premise and technology, or lack thereof, behind it is so simple. So I think a lot of the things that are in the card game already are really common behaviors that pretty much everybody can relate to and know the effect it has, like interrupting, going on for too long, someone not contributing... So I have I've had you know homemade cards very similar to this that I've been using in our practice for years and years that you know I just write on index cards. So anything that has a physical and or visual cue that you can give to someone that signals what it is and it doesn't even have to have a fancy illustration or have a word on it. You know I've I've worked with groups where we just say okay blue means this and yellow means this and, and green means this and so if you see blue come up. You know, that means you need to be aware of this certain thing. It's such a simple concept, which is so great. And I think what you've created with the fun names and the pictures and all that just really adds to the game element of it, which is just really fun for learning. But this is absolutely something that literally anybody could go implement tomorrow to kind of get themselves in the system. But I think the game thing makes it more fun personally.
1: Mm -hmm. I think the main thing I would recommend is that people really just first try to understand their own communication styles and understand, like for me, reading that book was very helpful. Uh, and it gave me something to think about more consciously when I'm in those kinds of sessions. And then I think the second is just understanding that these things are hard to change. You, you build up habits over a lifetime of communicating. So it's very difficult to ask someone to change their stripes. So uh, finding a way to give them you know, that feedback, as, as fast as a feedback as you can to give them real-time feedback about how they're communicating uh, is something that whether you're using a fun silly card game or not uh, will really help people. And so, in the past, we've done things like bring in Katie to our company to help everyone identify their own communication style and how that style can be affecting others. Um, we've done a lot of feedback-based training around those kinds of things. If you're going to intentionally make your company uh, office culture like more inclusive, that's one of the best things you can do is just having more understanding about your own style, and then when people have that understanding, they can think about how that style impacts others.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very interesting prerequisite point, Mark, that prior to implementing this game, TableXI has done a lot of work around talking and becoming very self-aware as a company about communication and inclusive behaviors and what that means. And I think over the years, collectively, you've developed a sense among the team that I can acknowledge my personal communication style and behaviors, and that's not a reflection of me as a person. I think that's probably something to be aware of for a leader or a company that might want to implement this game is to be aware of the pre-existing culture around communication. If your team has never really talked really explicitly and identified people really individually of, hey, you tend to do this or you tend to do this pulling out this game could seem a little bit like a splash of cold water in the face. So even when you describe sort of the personality cards of, you know, you have a tendency to speak up or we develop this one for me because I interrupt that could feel very, very, very overly personal. If there hasn't already been conversations around that, that have been accepted first. So I don't know that that necessarily means a company needs to go through communication trainings to get use out of this game, But I think there would need to be some previewing, even if it's just from a director of talent or someone who sort of champions diversity and inclusion at the company, to make sure that the learning is positively received.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Just because all the cards are in the deck doesn't necessarily mean that all the cards are going to be useful to your company. It seems from my perspective that a useful thing to do would be to, to identify one specific problem that you have in these kinds of meetings and try and fix that. And and then when you think you've made improvement on that to try something else, like I think at table XI for some time, the problem we were specifically trying to solve in many kinds of internal meetings was that loudest voice won and quieter voices just didn't get heard. And these cards are sort of an evolution along that path. But for a while we tried interventions like with the goal of solving a specific problem rather than the more general, like our meetings are out of control, so I think you know doing that little bit of work and trying to figure out like one specific thing that you're going to try to get. Maybe it's you know the, the loud voice thing. Maybe it's just that people interrupt each other all the time. Um, but pick one, I think, and try and and solve that.
2: Amen. Yes, I have to absolutely agree with that. Again, from a learning standpoint, it's you know if you're trying to improve your golf swing, you don't do five things at once. You sort of pick one or two. And to that point as well, there's other skills that. I think can be really relevant that haven't has been as much of an issue. So something I actually work with folks on a lot is interrupting well. You can also have meeting cultures where nobody interrupts anybody and it becomes incredibly dysfunctional because the tangent thing just mushrooms and the meetings are very unproductive and they go nowhere and nobody is comfortable jumping in and alerting someone else hey you know that's not really relevant can we get back on track and there can be a lot of utility especially as for someone in leadership position to have the ability to cut someone off and redirect them but do it very mindfully and respectfully Um, so that could actually be an additional card is the positive interrupter or the productive interrupter might not be as relevant for your group but there's definitely other folks out there who might need it
1: actually so there was one there we've asked people what are some other cards we could introduce to the game uh, when we've been at a few conferences and you know I bring them around now to, to client meetings and get Uh, different feedback from people. And there have been a couple different suggestions of things that would be possibly valuable to introduce to the deck or to include, you know, other thoughts. So one of the things I'm really curious about from this podcast is what other card suggestions, what are the, the kinds of things people would suggest that they could use in their company culture? Or what are the things we should include in the Kickstarter? When we print the deck out, that would be that would be valuable.
0: Wait, what were some of the suggestions?
1: One of the suggestions we got was an unconscious bias card in the situation where you think someone has uh, where unconscious bias is somehow affecting the conversation or affecting the decision um, that that is a subtle way to bring up something and make people more aware. So I thought that was interesting to see. you know, that's something again, anything that is unconscious or uh, accidental or things people aren't aware of, it's harder to identify and therefore harder to fix. So if there's an interesting way to make people more Aware of either like small microaggressions or things where uh, bias may be playing a factor in the outcome of a decision, that a card like that might help people recognize some of those things. Uh, so, that was one that came up recently in a conference we were at.
0: Yeah, a definite problem in meetings and something of a challenge to illustrate, I would imagine.
1: Yes, less horses in that one.
0: Okay, Mark, where can people reach you to talk about this some more? Do we have a URL for the Kickstarter yet, or should I just put it in the show notes?
1: The Kickstarter will go live in October, at the end of October. Um, and people can see the illustrations we have for the cards, the, how the game is played, and if they feel so motivated, can help back the Kickstarter and give us some ideas of how we could use a deck like this in, in our industry.
0: And Katie, where can people reach you if they want to know more about uh, communication styles or continue to talk with you forever about Meetings?
2: Uh, they can find me on our blog, which is speechirl.com slash blog. That's speech in real life, speech IRL. Um, or my email address is katie, K-A-T-I-E at speechirl.com.
1: I will say, uh, as a personal shout-out to Katie, it's been great that we get to collaborate with a speech pathologist and a speech therapist that can help us understand how uh, adults communicate. It's not something that we typically focus on um, outside of early school years. And so it was great having someone with her level of expertise and clarity come help to run our kinds of sessions. Um, I've introduced Katie to some of my clients as well. She's a phenomenal facilitator. So if you're ever looking for a way to make your... Company culture a bit more self aware, definitely give Katie a shout.
2: Thanks, Mark, for that shout out.
0: All right. Well, this has been great. Uh, thank you both for being on the show. And uh, people should look out uh, online for, for the inclusive meeting cards. Thanks.
2: Cool. Thanks for having me.
0: Tech Done Right is a production of Table XI, which is at Table XI on Twitter and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin, at Noel Rap on Twitter. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore, who you can find on Twitter at The Ruby Rap. Tech Done Right can be downloaded at TechDoneRight.io or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right. We're particularly interested in who you might want to be a guest on a future version of the show. And of course, if you like the show, telling a friend, a colleague, or your social media network, or just telling me would all be very helpful. And a review on Apple Podcasts helps people find the show. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right.